0: Yes, team. Welcome back to another episode of the High Performance Coach Podcast. I hope that you're well. Uh, We've got an incredibly special guest today uh, that I'm unbelievably excited about uh, bringing to you, as I know uh, there's going to be so much gold, so much wisdom, uh, and so many incredible stories that we're now going to be able to share. Uh, This guy is an incredible friend. We go back a number of years and having uh, spent so much time in his company and actually being able just to watch him grow, Personally, physically, and professionally, I think is an absolute testament to him and the work that he's now been able to kind of really, really put in. And uh, I'm hoping that today you're going to be able to uh, walk away, yeah, if, with more insight, more understanding, and uh, actually being harder to kill. So without further ado, Mr. Hard- Mr. Hard to Kill Mar- <laughs> mate, Rose, uh, how are you?
1: Kind of an introduction, mate. I'm a little bit subdued today based on a running boy, <laughs> so I, I do my best to not uh be placated for most of today mate
0: so we come up for the weekend because uh it was leanne's birthday on friday and uh marvel firstly
1: what, what are you currently working towards with with the running ball yeah so for me it's the marathon the saabs um which i've never even really heard of uh but uh that's in april april 21st so essentially seven marathons in seven days across the hard Desert, broken up into various different lengths of legs but yeah it's um it's it's going to be a warm one put it that way yeah. <laughs> and and how have you found the training so far Honestly, um, I think people often want me to say, oh, it's fucking brutal, it's barbaric. And whilst it is tough, because they've been preparing for it appropriately, intelligently and progressively over the past six months, it's just been uh, just enough stress to adapt and then recover. Um, So although it's getting to the point now we've done 170 miles in the past 21 days, uh, the body's soaking up because we've prepared appropriately. Superb.
0: Mm -hmm. And out of curiosity, where did the
1: driver and the desire to want to do this come from? So um, you and I are very similar to this extent. Like we're very growth oriented, and, and for me, one of my highest values that I was able to gain from working with Kieran was well, self mastery. So sort of mid last year, I was kind of my consistency was was really high. I was enjoying what I was doing, but I had that itch and inclination that I want to push and stretch and really find out more about myself and see what I can sort of do, be and achieve. Uh, i had it on my radar for a little while, but it was just sort of almost a pipe dream a bit of curiosity. So I thought, well, fuck it, let's see what happens. Um, it's quite hard to get a place. But I entered it. One of the hardest things about getting for a place for MBS is it's run by a French Moroccan company, so everything's in like fucking Frenchlish. The technology is fucking pants. Uh, so you, you bid for a place, you pay a, not an a substantial amount of money, and there's not even like a congratulations page or like a terminal. It's literally just. Well, now what? <laughs> yeah. And then two weeks later, you get an email in broken Franklish being like, "Congratulations, place you have." I was like, "Oh fucking hell, we're, we're doing this thing." Um, so for me, it was uh, leaning into something that was going to make me ask questions of myself to an extent that I never have had to, uh, whilst concurrently running, you know, the Hard to Kill program. So yeah, it was purely about self mastery and seeing seeing what that would look like.
0: And based upon the training volume and the levels you've been operating at, with the evolution of
1: Hard to Kill and also uh, the miles that you're currently running, what do you think you've learned about yourself thus far? Um, that so many belief systems you have about what you can and cannot do ultimately need to be tested. Um, I do believe that we have these preferences that we believe are actual limitations and oh, we can't do that and so on and so forth whereas if you're able to move slightly further away from judgment into curiosity is that like, well what would it look like and, uh, and then place yourself against something that's relatively hard and then just see what happens and then iterate on the data that you're getting and just constantly be curious about well, what if we were to do it this way and what if i was to do that and i wonder if i'm able to do that and ultimately when you're doing something as aggressive as a marathon or service prep you kind of have to suck it and see. There's been multiple days when you're like physiological stress has been really high, so sleep's been really impaired, maybe getting five and a half, six hours broken sleep a night, which I'm not advocating in any stretch of the imagination, but it's a reality of the situation. I think it's important to be honest about that. And I've had these belief systems that oh, I need eight hours sleep and it has to be perfect and so on and so forth, and then that's been disrupted and disturbed. You go into the next day, and once you get up and you fall back on your routines, up in daylight, hydrating, taking the dog for a walk, getting into work, you're like, fucking no, I actually... I'm all right. The business hasn't fallen apart. I'm not fucking made of glass. I'm not broken. And whilst I know sleep's a priority and I will look to fix that over the coming days and weeks, um, you are capable of exponentially more than you think you are, but you're never going to know that unless you've got a reason to test your current beliefs about yourself. So that'd be the biggest takeaway, yeah.
0: And do you believe that with a lot of high performance, one of the biggest challenges that people face is that there's almost this desire and need to create and facilitate these like perfect conditions. And when these perfect conditions aren't met, it's almost like, well, can no longer perform to that capacity and therefore
1: the beliefs of stories and the narrative yeah 100 you know we build these we, we you know as you will know we engineer basically a prison for ourselves psychologically and then we can't operate or we perceive we can't operate outside of the confines of our own thought whereas when you are forced to strip back because there's not the time or the energy or something external i.e like high physiological stress means sleep for example is not um, where you'd like it to be you, you find out a lot about yourself in those moments um, and then you ultimately learn to trust yourself because you start meeting the real you. You know, if you have a, a, an impaired night's sleep, are you a fucking pre-Madonna that spits a dummy out of those toys out a the pram and starts gobbing off a team or you know, being irritable with clients, for example? Or are you able to actually like take a moment, have that condor moment, look at the ground as it lays in the 30,000-foot perspective and be like, I'm actually all right? Like, I might have a slightly higher propensity to be irritable today. Let's regulate those emotions. What do I need to do? What's in my arsenal In terms of like self-regulatory practice, let's make sure we've got more of an impetus on them. Um, and then you can lead your team, you can lead your clients, you can do everything extraordinarily well. Um, and then, you know, you've got to it, you, you can fall back on trusting yourself to do the right thing, to continue to to just regulate yourself, essentially. Huge. Yeah. And you talked about then the practices.
0: What are some of the practices that you typically will fall back on that have yeah. been such key anchor points for
1: you? Uh, well, the, the first would just be the actual awareness itself. So, you know, really understanding what it looks like for you to be in the red versus what it looks like for you to be in the green. And uh, uh, most... Um, most valuably is understanding when you're in amber and sl- starting to slide towards red and knowing that when you're going into that that environment that psychological physiological state you can do it and it's actually valuable to do it from time to time to know that you've got the horsepower and you've got the, the capacity to do so so but having the awareness of you're now lighting a fuse and that's a fucking ticking time bomb and you want to meet it before it detonates um, and understanding right how can I regulate myself and get myself back to green so the first thing is awareness the second thing is actually a belief system that helps you understand you have permission to say that my work is done for the day, to rest, restore, and regulate. And I was speaking to you yesterday on that run um, about just little turns of phrase and use of language. So it's no longer rest and recovery, it's uh, supporting activity. So what supporting activities have I got? And for me, mate, fucking Xbox, 20 minutes a day, that actually allow my brain to, to, to unplug and just be playful. Um, iterations of plays. like going to the ranges, playing with the dog, walking the dog, and then you've got some more of the sort of harder recoverability protocols. So you know, uh, NSDR, non-sleep deep breath, fucking meditation, um, sleep, all that sort of good stuff, and making sure that when you have a restful, restorative afternoon, you've actually stacked up your priorities, and you're not leaving as white space. Whereby you're then gonna you pick up the phone, an hour's gone on Instagram, and then you're doing outbound messages, and then you into your client inbox four hours have gone and you've not switched off and you've just fucking wasted it. Yeah. yeah.
0: Do you feel as though that your relationship with rest has been something you've had to massively work on? Yeah. And if so, like what have been the challenges that you faced?
1: Well, I think, To the greatest extent everyone who gets into coaching especially at the point at the end of of, of coaching uh, has that common human neurosis of i'm not good enough Mm -hmm. and therefore we attach our um, validity and our worth to how much we're doing how much we're operating or even how much we're being seen to operate and i think the latter is the most detrimental and really destructive so you'll come to a point where you you're constructing this image and it's largely egoic if i'm really honest yeah. uh, and i have to be very honest with myself and you're you're exhausting yourself because you're not giving yourself permission to rest because you perceive that people think you're resting you're not good enough you're not worthy you're not certain clients you're not valuable so on and so forth and you'll get to a point and i think everyone has to actually experience it firsthand a true like almost egoic breakdown where you're forced to surrender and say, you know what, like, I actually, I do not care in this moment what people perceive of me, I'm doing the best that I can, that is inherently enough, and then surrendering to that, and that then allows a real degree of acceptance and and give yourself permission to rest and recover, so you almost have to have that breakdown before you have the breakthrough of knowing that, like, the, the most valuable thing I have is in the top two inches, and that can only continue to operate if I'm being expansive with my thinking rather than being restrictive. If I've got to prove something, I've got to show something, I've got to my Instagram stories, I've got to be serving clients. No, you fucking haven't, mate. Like, you, As a leader, it's absolutely your responsibility to keep your shit in one sock. And you can only do that if you fucking dress back and be like, right, well, I need a rest because otherwise I'm going to piss my team off. My client's going to think I'm a fucking aggy twat and I'm operating through the scarcity lens. So when you dress back and you have that abundance mentality, you're exponentially more valuable because people see that in you. People are like he's, he, he, he seems like energetically he's got it figured out. He's, he's confident, um, and you only do that when you, you've created spaciousness and you, you've allowed yourself to operate on that level. Yeah, I mean, massive.
0: I think the thing always comes back to me is like your business ambition is always limited to the amount of energy you have to give to it. Yeah. And it's like if you're consistently at a two out of ten, like yeah. well, fundamentally you're getting a two out of ten. Your clients are getting a two out of ten. Your content, your creativity, everything's getting a two out of ten. Yeah. And whilst you're telling yourself I'm working hard and doing. more, or I'm doing everything that I should be doing at this present moment in time, but fundamentally, you are significantly underperforming. Yeah. Um, and then you end up just finding yourself getting stuck in this rut whereby things aren't necessarily going the way in which you want them to go because you haven't got the uh, intensity, the creativity, and or like the ability to now be able to focus your energy
1: into the right spaces and places and you end up just becoming a busy fool. 100% and that's where that self-awareness piece comes in because... You know, actually uh, analyzing, interpreting what is happening behaviorally and knowing what that is. So a great example is, okay, you've got a task that needs done and you want to go into your, your messaging inbox and you go in and you open something you're like, oh, I'll do that later, I'll do that later. What you've got to understand in that moment is that's actually the center of your brain putting into a flight response. It's very quickly interpreting, okay, how much energy does that response need? How much action needs taken off the back of it? And your unconscious mind is deciding and deciphering in that moment. We don't have the resources and the energy to facilitate that. So you're just, you're actually running away from it. So in that moment, you've got to catch in like, fuck, I'm in flight mode. Um, so I actually need to listen to that. But otherwise, you'll end up in freeze mode. And that's when people find themselves stuck on Instagram, fucking watching porn, all that sort of good shit. Uh, just fucking dress back, recover appropriately. And then when you get into the inbox, you get into the high energy tasks you like, right, I'm game for a fucking scrap. Like If I see a message, I'm like, boom, fucking on it. If I've got a task to do, boom, I'm fucking on it. And I'm on to the next, on to the next. And I'm dressing back and recovering, not just feeling like you, you haven't got the ability, the energy or time to deal with these things. And what it will be, it will be an, an external interference. You'll tell yourself, I don't have time for that right now or I can't handle that right now. Just having the awareness and, again, the vulnerability to say, I just don't have the energy. So I need to restore that energy. And then I can come back to it. Yeah.
0: I think it's that you know, some lessons need to be experienced in order for them to be fully understood. And I think you said it's like you've almost gotta go through it for you to now be to find your edge. Yeah. And then understand like okay, what are the red flags that I now need to raise awareness around? And then I can only connect the dots backwards. Yeah. So you can go in with like this awareness and this understanding. But I think sometimes you've almost gotta be able to go in and like have face the shit yeah. um, for you then to be able to go ah, okay that now makes sense yeah. um, for you then to be able to kind of reassess and then understand like, okay what are the practices I now need to put in place what's the awareness yeah. uh, do, do I now need to have what the belief, what are the beliefs and stories and narratives that I'm telling myself that I believe to be true within yeah. this moment
1: yeah. um, and then how do I start to kind of shift focus yeah 100% and that's once you've been through that and you've kind of mapped the ground and the only ultimate, ultimate way to, to fucking map the territory is you can't read about it, is you've got to get boots on the ground and you've got to have a little bit of fucking recce and know what's where and figure that out and create your own mental maps. Your, your ability to coach other people through that exponentially improves as well, because if you're working with a driven, aspirational individuals, they will operate through the exact same systems as you. So now when we have uh, new individuals coming to the Health Kill program, one of the first things we do is create a crisis card which might sound like a little bit over, over-dramatized, over uh, a little bit reactionary, but it means like we're basically in this process at some point, we're going to push you and we're going to find your fucking limits and environmentally, psychologically, emotionally, we're going to find them. We know how you might present in that moment, but you need to know how you might present. So actions on when you become avoidant, etc., so on and so forth, how we're going to handle you. Um, and then we know when we start to see X kind of behavior, X, Y, and Z, right? Fucking where's the Trello crisis action card. We do that for that person. We get them to a place at least we can engage, and then it's like right actions on. We start bringing them back to where they need to be, and then they can then have an awareness piece about right. I now see how I respond at that moment. I'm really being fucking pushed to my edge, um, and then they can start to learn from that and iterate systems, and and again pursue self mastery rather than being fucking told. Oh, you know, come on, crack on, get the fuck on, because that's not resilient. Any fuckwit can get very stressed and very tired. Can you pull yourself back from that? And can you can you have the courage to to recover? And then lean back in, get back into the firefight and go forwards and push forwards and make more ground. That ultimately is the awareness piece and how valuable well, that, that is. Yeah, I think the thing that I pick up most about that is like that's
0: fundamentally coaching. It's like mm. not for you to now be able to dictate what the outcome for somebody, mm. what a result should now look like for somebody, yeah. but it's about how can you now give them the tools, of space, mm. uh, the ability to now be able to understand. themselves in more depth so they can now come to certain conclusions and create their own kind of narrative stories and answers around where they want to be and actually what that result now looks like for them rather than being like you come into this machine this is the process you finish here yeah yeah and that and that's pretty much it and one big thing that kind of stands out for me is like um even you know for the four or so years though you know we've now known each other it's almost like i think i've seen you put up Maybe one before and after. Yes. Maybe, 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 and that was probably around like three or four years ago. So, yeah. mate, obviously with Hard to Kill, which I'm going to come on to in a second, because I think this room is quite monumental uh, in that in that, in that that journey, um, like for you, mate, how do you feel as though um, like Hard to Kill has like developed and evolved in terms of the message, the brand, and how have you been able to just kind of Stay away from like the kind of finite game of before and afters, etc.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was almost a necessary evil at first. One is because we were working with people who, uh, through their professional endeavours, needed a, a personal, a level of a personal operational security. So, we're like, okay, well, that's been stripped away from us. And now, how do we demonstrate what we do without being able to fucking plaster people's images all over social media? um but then for us, who we're hunting for specifically is individuals who have a why but don't know the how. So they're coming to us, and it's not for uh, we we are we are facilitators we're consultants and mentors and um, it's not for us to say okay this is what success is mm-hmm. going to look like for you it's like we understand you're driven in like you're driven you're motivated and you understand roughly what success might look like for you but you don't know how to get from point a from point to point b to that extent, like you're then spending a lot of time in your own head with paralysis by analysis and overthinking and all of these uh, neuroses that come attached to really high performing individuals. And that then creates self deprecation, self criticism. So we're looking at A, the belief systems behind that, and then B, like the actual habits, actions, and behaviors, and then C, facilitation of getting from here to here. And we're simply here with uh, the understanding that all complex adaptive systems ie like human and there's the psychology behind it will decrementally drift if they're not given feedback mechanisms. So we plug into that with feedback so we're looking to create to disturb that system and up upward trajectory because they know where they want to go, they know what it's going to feel like. and then when we expert that process when we give them the additional tools, training, accountability support, they're able to not only acquire that in a massively reduced time scale, they fucking punch through the target and they're like, actually that, that, that was that came quicker and easier than I anticipated well what's to stop me from going to there that? and that's when again the curiosity piece comes in and that's the authenticity of how we live our lives as directing staff of well, what would it look like if i didn't just get to here and be like oh that's good enough what would it look like if i was like well fuck it why not me now fuck you tell me i can't and then just start to really become defiant and curious in the pursuit of that and people achieve exponential things that far beyond the vision that anyone could have for them other than when they realize in themselves that they they can do be, and achieve whatever they set their mind to yeah.
0: And how have you found that from a marketing and a messaging perspective because the way in which you now conduct communicate articulate your message is obviously quite unconventional Mm. in the way in which you've now been able to kind of grow and evolve and really kind of like own and dominate your own blue ocean Mm -hmm. so from like a marketing and messaging perspective like what's been the kind of like the thought process
1: yeah Uh, it's a challenging one because you know when it comes to marketing for example that i believe there's never a solution there's just a trade-off um, you know, if you if you're always going to talk about before and afters, you might get people who are inclined towards quick fixes, for example. For us, because we largely talk about everything I've just articulated in the past sort of ten minutes. It's, it really ref, it really requires you to, to understand the belief systems, the habits, the lifestyles that really get to the nitty gritty of the, the psychology of that human, and then talk directly to the specificity of the problems, how it's turning up, how it's impacting them. And then in, like ask them uh, inquisitive questions, almost like Socratic questioning of what would your life be like if you weren't subscribing to this, or like, if you were to overcome this, how much more would you be capable of? So then you know, the people that are reading that, in collaboration with very, very striking imagery, which is, if I'm really honest, it's playing a fucking game. Mm -hmm. And you've got to get eyes on screen, whether we like it or not. So they see the mega image, they have a look at that, and then they start thinking, okay, I I resonate with that. I felt exactly that way. And he's here telling me that there's there's maybe more to that. And that's not an upper limit. That's not a belief that I should perhaps be subscribing to. and, And maybe they've got tools, resources, and the capability to help me punch through that target. And then again, it's just death by a thousand cuts. And they're seeing it over and over and over and over again. And then through the social proof of me and all directing staff, you know, managing extraordinarily high tempo of operations. And also, you know, running 170 miles in 20 days and doing Ironmans and marathon and And Jack, is held a world record for rowing, the first person to ever row from mainland Europe to mainland America. He fucking ran Atacama Crossing. The only person in the top 10 that weighed over 90 kilos. Uh, he's setting another world record next year. And, and then it begins to give people proof of, oh, fucking hell, like, what if they're doing it? be under no illusion, the trade-off we make there is it's a very specific type of person. It's a very driven kind of person who is defiant and courageous enough to open that door despite not knowing what's behind it and say, well, fucking let's have a look. Like, What what could I do um, if I were to have these systems and these resources and and these caliber of people around me? So that's the trade-off that we make. But as a result, the amount of fulfillment we get from working with that caliber of individual is just irreplaceable. And um, you know, if, if it was for me okay, you got to do transformations before and afters, or you know, you work with less people, I'll take the fucking latter. Um, because I would shut up shop if I had to do physique stuff. I would just be like, it's not, it's not. I, I don't love it. So, so I'm gonna shut up shop. Yeah. Do you believe that we can have it all? Yeah, I really do. I think the people might hear that I'm like bollocks. Well, the reason people can't have it all is because they've not spent the time understanding what all means to you. When you understand exactly what all means, and then you're courageous enough to ruthlessly eliminate anything that is not all and then go all in on that, if you can do that as a process, you can have it all. But understand all, you know, when you really have clearly dialed in and iterated what is important to you you'll realize there's so much shit that you do in terms of environmentally, physiologically, psychologically, emotionally that doesn't serve you. If you're capable of getting rid of that, eliminating it, minimizing it, then you can have everything that you really want. Um, and you've just got to be very, very honest with yourself of what is it that you want and why is it you want that? You know, is it egoic gratification or uh, is, is it narcissistic or is it a true, if we're going to use the word spiritual, desire to have stillness of the mind and, and true happiness and fulfillment? And often there's a bit of a conflict of interest there. And that's where so many people get that cognitive dissonance. I mean, I want to make X amount of money or I want to have X physique. Why? If Instagram didn't exist, would you care? If there wasn't a business mentor who was asking you how much money you went this month, would you fucking care? Okay, and, and surrender and be vulnerable to that. And then you'll find what you're truly passionate about. And if you can find a way to articulate that and find your people, then you'll probably fucking double that amount of money you thought you could yeah. have anyway. Your physique you know, is going to become um, a form of your function. So your, your performance is exponentially higher if you really are able to be ruthless about what you want and then fucking eliminate everything else. Mm-hmm.
0: We spoke about this, obviously, uh, over, we, we ran 20 miles yesterday, or I, I ran, ran 10 miles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, you had a 25 pound, but, and also you had done a ridiculous amount of mileage the week before. I was just, I was just basically doing some extras just to make myself <laughs> feel good enough. Uh, fundamentally, I mate, what do you now believe like, Mark Rhodes has eliminated from like his life in order for him to now become like exponentially kind of more like productive, clear, and
1: Yeah, so... I, I'll I'll talk through this, but I don't know how it'll be received on the event. Ultimately, I can't be in control of that. Some people might listen to this and think fucking boring cunt. Fair enough, you're entitled to your opinion. Other people might be like, okay, that's something I could do. So alcohol was a very low hanging fruit. Rather than optimizing how I do that and hydrating around it and stacking low activity tasks the next day, realizing it doesn't serve me, I don't enjoy it. I've got a coloured, colourful past with alcohol, owing to, you know, rugby, so on and so forth. And I was like, it doesn't serve me. So eliminating that, you know, as we've spoken about over this weekend, eliminating gossip. So anyone who comes to me talking about other people. Immediately shut that conversation down. I save so much emotional bandwidth, cognitive load, and time. Um, What else? Like fucking social media, doing relatively hacky things, like putting your phone in grayscale, putting all these things that are percentile gains. And I spoke to you earlier, maybe a year ago, my screen time on my phone was probably in the region of four to six hours a day. And has I guess many coaches watching this, it will be very, very similar. And now my work phone is like, uh, yeah, about 90 minutes a day. Mm-hmm. And it's not because I'm doing any less work. It's because I'm working exponentially more potently and intentionally. So when I'm on it, I'm fucking in, boom, boom, boom. I've communicated effectively. I've got what I've needed to get done. And I'm ripping back out of that. Um, so I'm spending much more time iterating solutions and being creative, and you know, really going into a, into a true almost CEO role of going up and out and, and having that convergent thinking. Um, so I've just eliminated things that don't serve that purpose.
0: I talked at the start about like your journey and like the like the personal, physical, and like professional growth that I've seen as a as a friend over the last few years. Like, what would you now kind of like owe that to, and what do you now believe has allowed you to almost like communicate and see with this kind of level of Depth and like understanding, because um, again, mate, if I think about you, you're one of the most kind of like meticulous, well thought mm-hmm. um, like individuals that I know with an incredible level of uh, emotional intelligence. So, like, where do you now believe that's come from? What work have you done in yourself that's allowed you to have this clarity? I think the honest truth is the
1: uh, the actual catalyst for it is 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 pain, um, and it's for many of us like it's something that's really uh, emotionally difficult. Um, and, and if anyone looks into sort of psychology, that's what we call our shadow. There's a part of us that that we that we wish didn't exist, that we don't want the world to see. And we spend so much of our time and energy just trying to mask and trying to hide. And that's largely all of our ego, because at some point in our life we felt unlovable. Um, we felt like we were unworthy, we were unattractive, and then we we create our identity just in order to mask that. Um, and, and realizing that was that was running a lot of my life, that, that unconscious program was changing how I articulated and was making me very angry and reactive and it just wasn't serving me and then you know full credit to yourself um it was very inspirational when I first met you at that an event you know four fucking years ago whenever it was and seeing the levels which you were operating from a business perspective I was like well there's, there's levels to this shit um and then and you know progressing with seemingly surface level stuff like my physique and you know, business metrics and then you're constantly coming up against more and more pain because you're feeling dissatisfied and unfulfilled. And you know you lean into something because that's what you think you should be doing, quote, unquote. And then you get there and it's very hollow and you feel just more stressed than you ever had been. So that leads to almost like a breakdown and it takes you down an avenue of exploration. So then investing in the right people that basically get into a point of, of maximal frustration. So you have that activation potential and that real motivation saying, say, well, I don't want to subscribe to this. I don't want to keep hitting these same limiting beliefs you know, investing in, in therapeutic relationships, investing in and obviously, from TMP, and I worked with myself for a while as well, and that really helped me expedite that process of growth and lean into, well, how could I be better? How could I not come up against this? How could I not lead my life feeling frustrated about this? Um, and entering into these, and it's the dark, unsexy, uncertain, hard work that, you know, can be very tormentous, uh, even torturous conversations in between your own two years, and having um, the... the I guess the courage to lean into that and just surrender to it and allow yourself to actually be vulnerable. And then you have like part of you will die and it will break down, which allows you to step into the next thing you want. And at the risk of sounding really fucking spiritual and stuff here, I don't believe there's a way to skip that. Mm-hmm. I truly don't believe there's a way to skip that because it gives you so much confidence in who you are. Because I'm not, uh, not that I don't care what people think, obviously, we all do to an extent, but um, you know, I'm, I'm self-secure. At this point in my life, and again, that will probably break down. And I'll iterate again off the back of it. But it, it started with pain, that was the catalyst, and then that that um, gave me the activation potential to to work with people who I perceived were operating to a higher standard than me. They could help me understand myself, and then it could break down certain parts of me and step into the next chapter of life. Um it really is a relentless pursuit. I've got to a point now where I think, oh, maybe I have figured it out. Let's see how long that lasts. <laughs> but yeah. then, you know, and you just constantly iterate and move forwards and and I think ultimately that's why you become a valuable asset and a valuable commodity to the market per se, because people have seen that in you and they've seen a degree of self security and confidence and just wholeness about you. And energetically, they want they want a fucking slice of that. They want a bit for themselves.
0: Yeah. And again, I think that's it. It's like you can't now cut. Like you cannot you cannot cut corners. You can't and, cut that corner, yeah. And if you cut corners, like I always believe, like the fi- the faster you build it, the quicker it decays. Yeah. You know, and it's like ultimately you can do a few things that might potentially allow you to get a few steps ahead. And there's obviously ways that you can obviously leverage by learning from others and et cetera. But fundamentally, you've got to go through that process and you've got to now be able to do the work as hard as shitty, as unsexy as it feels and as challenging as it may potentially be. And as well, like sometimes it's like, well, what do I then have to say to the world? How can I put myself out there? But actually, there's periods of times whereby you almost need to retreat, go and do the fucking work. Go and do the necessary so then you can come back and present something and i feel as though there's been like this evolution when you've now been able to kind of like present something that now is so aligned mm. in comparison to probably the last time that you were sat here in this yeah. room so do you want to talk about mate where where you were and like ultimately like um yeah what, why the, why this room has some Im- importance in terms of hard to kill i won't give a date
1: because i'm pretty sure we were we were breaking some kind of law at that point <laughs> <laughs> you reverse engineer from there but i was in this room and I think the office was different here. I think the, the computer yeah. module was sort of there. And this was a click clack bed there. Yeah. Um, and that was I I had a degree of prolific success with Mark Rose coaching, which is just just um, you know selling coaching and a 90 day program to general population clients. Now, for whatever reason, obviously I have a heightened degree of self awareness and. Um, and I'm very analytical as a person, so I'm hyper aware when something really isn't fulfilling me. And that, as a result, the trade-off you have with that, people think oh, I must be a superpower. The trade-off you have is that you experience all extraordinary highs, but you also it's really challenging when you are when you are aware that there's cognitive dissonance here. You get really quite unhappy, and it's almost to the point of be, being depressive in mood. And uh, that's probably you've got fucking autism or ADHD or something. Like someone probably more qualified than me will identify that in me. But I, I was hyper aware that, yeah, like that point in the coaching industry I, I was very successful from a financial perspective but I was deeply unfulfilled. And I think we went on that, that training camp and I was literally sleeping like two, or three hours a night, I had the fucking heart palpitations, eye twitches, you name it. Um, and I just came to a moment where I was and I didn't know what I was doing at the time. I just surrendered and said, I fucking don't want to lose anymore. No. Like I love coaching and I love inherently improving people and seeing them break through and change their lives. I'm fucking sick of of just serving people that don't necessarily appreciate the same thing that I do. And it's making me, yeah, we've got money in the bank and externally the world think, oh, it's fucking smashing it. I fucking hate my life. And I I refuse to give any more of my life, my time, my energy, my spirit to, to people that don't necessarily appreciate it. So that was the death of Mark Rose Coaching, and that was where I birthed the Heart to Kill program with yourself and Martin Irvine. um, I think Martin was the first one who came up with it and was really pushing me to lean into it. And I was shat the bed. My arsehole was like a fucking rabbit. And I was like, I can't do that. I had every flavor and shade of imposter syndrome um, about I'm not the one to do that. Like, my message isn't as strong as someone else who's more qualified. I had it all. And then I was kind of like, right, I was very meek and timid, and I started leaning into it a little bit. I started seeding the language in. Um, and you kind of get the confirmation that you needed of people really leaning into it and really enjoying it and it wasn't effortless I mean we let 40% of our clients go um, and we was like this is, this is no longer a congruence here we can't serve you so you know we made sure we were safe from a numbers perspective we let 40% of the clients go and then we leaned into it and I think that December was my first um first event in an entrepreneurial group that we were in um and I got asked to do a talk I think he fucking shot himself in the foot because I stood up at the front of the room and said the most powerful thing I've done over the past 12 months is fire 40% of my clients. Fuck your revenue, fuck your cash flow, fuck all that sort of stuff. If you're not happy, for me, it was not worth it. So I fucked him off. I've learned a new message and it's becoming magnetic to people because I'm here, this is what I want to do. I will never trade my my happiness for money, for financial gain. And people are picking up on that um, and investing in it prolifically. Um, and that was, yeah, that was a birth of Hard to what, like, maybe two years ago, two little bit years ago, yeah. yeah. I still remember that
0: training camp, and I came down, we were going for a swim at like half six in the morning. Yeah. God knows why. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I remember coming down the stairs, and you were coming out of the living you out of the living room, and again, man, I still remember, like, you, your fate, and you were just bollocks. Like, yeah. it's <laughs> as, sim- as simple as that. Yeah. We went for a swim, and then we pretty much
1: just spent the full afternoon sat in the living room. Do you remember that? I was a fucking donker on the edge, mate. Yeah. And I was like... I can't do the same like, yeah. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing it. Yeah. Um. And as I said, you know, so there are no solutions, there are any no trade offs, and people will see what they want to see from external perspective, and they have perceptions of what hard to kill means. In uh, that moment, I really didn't feel hard to kill. It, it really is an intrinsic capability of just, uh, just being able to say, well, I, I don't want to give up. Um, yeah, I need to surrender to this in a moment, but I, I, I will find a way to persevere. Um, and that, that's all it truly is about. And then life will kick the living fuck out of you. It will knock you out. It will come from the flanks and it will really give you a hard time um, if you want to be the greatest version of yourself. And ultimately it's in those moments, if you get knocked down, it's not always your fault. If you choose to stay down, then we've got a different conversation on our hands. It's finding a way to get back up on your feet, dust yourself off and say, what did I learn? What can I do differently? And let's get back in the fucking ring and let, let's, let's go after it. And yeah. um, that, that's, that's, that was that, what that moment was, even though it didn't feel like it at the time. Absolutely. What does hard to kill mean to you? Because I think we, we spoke
0: about this obviously on the run today. I think mm-hmm. there's different... Kind of like people look at it from a different
1: perspective when you just look at those words. Yeah. But what, in, in Mark Rhodes' words, what, what does hard to kill me? Hard to kill is much more um, psychological and emotional than people would perceive. Because if, if I'm to give an analogy, if I've got an individual who's extraordinarily fit um, and, and training is the center of their universe, if you want, really, really want to um, test that person, let's see how they, how they behave when they get injured. Where they get put in an environment where they can't control all the variables, reference nutrition, training, etc., so and so forth. And typically, they'll cannibalize themselves very, very quickly. Their self worth will go through the floor, their ego is being really challenged, their identity will die, and everything they, they believe that they are, their identity will come under really crushing crisis. So, um, becoming hard to kill is ultimately uh, become an individual who knows how to regulate himself and has um, the emotional regulatory skills and the cognitive flexibility to persevere through anything, um, whether that be you know, for me. An example of doing a marathon the Saab, it's not to prove that I'm fucking Bruce Mohammed Ahmad Ali. It's more about can I regulate my emotions about myself and what do I believe to be true about myself when things aren't going my way? How can I regulate that and I still continue to perform at a peak performance level in business, as an individual, as a partner, as you know, all of these things. Um, and that's what hard to kill means is the ability to just get knocked down because you put yourself in the fight in the first place get back up, learn the lesson, get back in the fucking scrap, have the courage to, if you get twatted again, so be it. At least you put yourself out there, get back up, learn it again, keep moving forward, box smart. Um, It's much more about an individual's psychological aptitude than it is about their their, their physiological ability. Yeah, definitely. And how has Mark Rhodes
0: evolved as a leader, going from Mark Rhodes coaching, one-man band, Mm -hmm. to now obviously uh, kind of like leading your uh, Mm DS? And What have you now learned about leadership as you've been through that kind of journey and as you're going through that journey just now? I'm fucking winging it,
1: mate. (laughs) (laughs) We all are. (laughs) are. It's fucking suck it and see. Yeah, so um, leadership starts with self. It really does just come down to the standards that you have set for yourself. And I, I truly believe that language is the most crude form of communication because when we talk about setting standards for oneself, people have a, um, a perception about, okay, I've got to be fucking ninja fit and I've got to be really, like, really fit and I've got to train really hard and, and set these unrealistic, un- unattainable standards, which then falls into a cognitive distortion. And then once again, an individual self-deprecates, self-cannibalizes and criticizes if they're not able to attain these really high standards. So it's actually just about standards of behavior at the lowest level. Uh, uh, having met yourself through real moments of crisis and then and, and learning to love and trust that person and knowing inherently that you, will, you, can, you are trustworthy. And when you know that you're trustworthy and you're bringing in incredible people, you actually feel indebted to them In no way do I believe that they kind of, I don't even like to say it. Like I I actually work for them. Like they are, we brought them in because they're exceptional what they do. I love them as humans. um, And I have an enormous amount of respect for the things that they can do that I cannot. So it's actually, I I truly do believe I'm there to serve them because, you know, Louis is a fantastic uh, observation. My head of of operations, he can do things that I can't even fucking dream of when it comes to systems and tech and and operational stuff. All I can do is just fucking daydream. So they're like, okay, I owe it to him now to be able to break that down into first principle and then articulate effectively, and then give him the tools, the resources, and the spaciousness that he needs to have confidence to really run with that and know that it's his own and express himself to his full capability. And then he brings that to life, and the whole team moves forward. So it is not about leading from the front at all. It's actually you know find the right people that you inherently love, trust, and respect. Um, give them the confidence to to take their area with full stewardship and they get the fuck out of their way and just check in of can I help you like what do you need from me in order for me to facilitate that um, it's not about telling them what to do at all yeah how can I how can I support you I think
0: yeah. it's, it's such an incredible frame when you're working alongside people I think it's so 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 powerful yeah. and yeah I said this from day dot like even with with our incredible team it's like you know you do not work for me like we are now like we are we are one and we are together and fundamentally we stand shoulder to shoulder yeah I like most importantly I'm here to support and facilitate your excellence yeah uh, more so than anything else? And how does that complement? And out of curiosity, I think obviously a lot of coaches that are now starting to obviously like grow and evolve are starting to think about team and uh, what, what and who do I now start to kind of like bring in and what do I start to put in place? And I see um, there's so many challenges mm. that coaches face with obviously starting to bring team in. Mm. From a personnel perspective, like what have you done and why do you now believe that you've been able to bring in the caliber of
1: individuals that you have done and why do you think it works so well? Well, we we've learned by failing, um, and again, uh, that'll probably be the first lesson is don't fear inefficiency because we brought people in who you know who, who, who served us for a short while, but then we quickly iterated that or we identified, should I say, that maybe they weren't. I don't want to say congruent because I'm enormously respectful and I'm very grateful for the time and energy and expertise they offered us. But then, as we really started to refine what it is we wanted and what what success would look like in that area and element of the business, it then becomes very obvious for you can use it as a north star. Okay, what attributes does that person need to possess in terms of what do they perceive of their own skill sets? Uh, what are they really good at and as a result like what is the potential trade-off I'm making if someone's inherently good at one thing there's going to be a trade-off and do my strengths complement their weaknesses and vice versa. And then can I communicate with that person? How would we respond if, we're, if I have to initiate conflict? Do I, do I trust that person? Because you have to be the first one to initiate trust. You can't expect them to come in and trust you if you haven't given it to them. So, can I can I trust myself? And then ultimately, working on your limiting beliefs to, to hand over elements. And it is scary. Like, it is scary. I think the thing that, that holds most people back um, from a business perspective when they're the hiring team is they're already stressed out of their box, enormously overworked, maybe lacking a little bit of confidence. So they don't truly understand the thing that they're handing off. They don't understand how to train that person. They're maybe not taking full responsibility and ownership for it. if that person hasn't done the job as you anticipated. That they haven't articulated it properly. They haven't trained them properly. They haven't taken responsibility where they need to. Um, and, and that's that's something I've learned by failing. I and mean, when you bring the right person in, um, because you really respect them as a person, you don't want them. I guess you even on, a, on an individual basis, you don't want them thinking that you're a fucking useless cunt. So you really break down the problems and the process and you do everything to the best of your ability to communicate. This is what it is and this is what it looked like if done, comp- if done appropriately and, and, and then really giving them enough of your time. Because if you were to ask yourself the question of how much time and energy am I putting into finding the right people and training them, for most people, it's nowhere near enough. So how can I dress back from certain things in order to get the right people and then I can, I can go back into that once they're up, established and running? So, I don't know if that's been around the house's way of answering that question, but that, that's my thoughts on it. Yeah. yeah. And how have you found relinquishing control? It's scary. Like, it, it is really, really scary. Some parts more than others. Uh, again, although there is a, an element of relief, um, it shouldn't, I feel, immediately be relief because then it's just like, oh, thank fuck. Yeah. It's like you just, it was just a pressure drain, which means you actually just needed some fucking time off. Rather than you needed to put a person in that role, so it shouldn't be immediate relief. It should be a little bit of uh, of scare, scarcity, not scarcity. Sorry, a little bit of fear of like fucking hell. Like this is a big step for me. But then you know immediately you're met with that inner voice of fear, self compassion. Say so you've done the right thing. I can trust that person, um, and I, I I trust that I have trained them well enough. I trust that they have the intellect, and I trust that they trust me enough to communicate. If I haven't trained them appropriately, if they need to initiate a conflict. And then you just let them go. I mean, I, I trained Louie really when I was in fucking Australia, so that was uh, that was really really tough. One of the toughest roles to relinquish for me was, was definitely sort of the sales, because that's the thing—the thing that can can really influence both top and bottom line. But again, you've got to just trust yourself, trust that you've selected the right person, trust that you've trained them enough, and trust them that if they've got a problem they don't understand, they will come to you and they 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 feel confident enough to initiate conflict and know you're not gonna rip the fucking head off. you know, okay, cool. What's the problem? Break it down, solve it. Um, so yeah, those are big lessons, I'd say.
0: Yeah, I think one of the big, biggest things that I would say that I've taken from that, even within myself and even what you're saying with regards to kind of like Louis especially, it's like actually you realize that people can do the job way fucking better than you can so actually do it yourself. Yeah, yeah. But then that's your ego that gets in the way that's basically stopping you from allowing yourself to relinquish control because again, it comes back into, uh, again, like that, that belief and that story that you now hold through and it's almost like not wanting to let anybody else in because when you realize actually somebody's way better than you, yeah. it, it then ultimately then comes back.
1: And sometimes to... initially you have to you have to surrender to yourself and know that I am inherently enough and everything mm-hmm. doesn't need to be perfect first time because if, I, if I'm if i operating through that lens and I'm trying to make it perfect all the time, you'll micromanage the person who will then think you're a dickhead. Yeah. Um, they won't operate to the best ability because they're scared of letting you down. So then they've got a constrictive thought process and they're operating through scarcity. So when you've actually arrived at a position of self-security like... A business metric does not define me um i want to inherently work on a personal level and the metrics will take care of themselves when you operate through that lens that person feels empowered creative confident to go and apply their passion express their passions really well you you will get a few failures you will get a few fuck ups it is what it is we fail fucking we do shit wrong all the time you'll be the same and it's like you have to have that same level of compassion and empathy with that person as you would with yourself and if you have, if you if you're someone who's like well I don't have compassion let's see myself, there's the problem. Okay. If you, if you judge them, you'll also judge yourself. In the absence of other people, so again, you don't have a business problem, you've got a personal problem. So you work on that, and your ability to have compassion and empathy with that person. Okay, I appreciate you communicating about with me. I take responsibility. I didn't train you well enough. I'm bum bum bum. So let's go back. Let's look at that and put you back in that environment. Yeah, he's fucking nailed it. Um, and then because you've picked the right person, because you've shown them nothing but love and, and stewardship in that moment. They don't want to go in and do a really, really good job so they'll overperform. And that's that's how it works. You know, you can't scarcity your way to to success. Yeah. I think providing people with
0: autonomy and giving them the platform to be able to kind of like fail forward with no judgment. Yeah, can be one of the most powerful things that you can now do,
1: and then you can trust that person. You know, we, we all have fuck ups, you know, we're in the team meetings and we get, you know, when we're doing an MPS a nominal, um, yeah, uh, rep score sorry, and we maybe get a bit of challenging feedback. You know, we're fortunate our MPS is, is high, but you'll still always get some challenging feedback that's very incisive, and you'll get an, a, a guttural egoic reaction. You're like, right, surrender to that. This is free feedback, and you you're able to then trust your team of like, right, lads, fucking hands up, who shot the ball? Yeah. And is that- Sorry, mate. It's like, well, okay, I'm not going to bother you. I, I, I fucking value you. I, I trust and I respect you. So I take responsibility. I haven't trained you. I haven't provided enough today. I haven't supported you. What can I do to help you now? Well, actually, yeah, I suppose you just one thing. Okay, brilliant. And then the fucking, you know, the, the, the true test of longevity and performance in a relationship is after conflict, does it go to 99% or 101? Because if it's 99, you've started a system drift and it's going to fall apart. Um, if you can go to 101, because you're happy to initiate conflict, you're happy to deal with that, and then you say, mate, thank you for doing that because it's given me an opportunity to understand you, how I need to better support you, and what we need to do better moving forwards, then the relationship goes from strength to strength. And so much, certainly, your organization and what people see externally is because of the internal culture that you have. Um, and I like to think we're trying to do the same. Uh, we're probably not there yet, but yeah, people, people see on the outside what you're harboring internally.
0: Yeah, we'll shadow share that out. I would love to continue this conversation. Uh, we're actually going for lunch, Sunday <laughs> roast. Uh, so this could probably be like a real life. This could be actually like a three hour podcast. Uh, it could be like a Rogan episode. We yeah. could literally go on. Get so, fucking
1: uh, cigar. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. So, peppermint tea and it's a peppermint tea and a cigar. Uh, well, so basically, we'll, we'll close the loop. Um, but dude, I We obviously want to thank you for, well, obviously being able to take the time to uh, share, and I think there's so much gold in there. If you were to now go back to the Mark Rhodes that was sat in here that basically felt like an imposter and was questioning himself like, now what, I've had all this kind of like external quote unquote success and I Mm. should feel Mm. like this way, what would you now go back and say to that man? Well,
1: that's something I've actually done a lot of work on, you know, through timeline hip de- uh, meditations of going back as as an older version of me still, and remember a 35-year-old version, going back to that that scared, uncertain, insecure individual. Um, and there's a lot of things that, that I would say, but um, it, it's hard to refine it into a singular sentence. But honestly, it would be a f- probably an arm around the fucking shoulder, and they're like, you, you can do it. Mm-hmm. Like, you 100% can do it. Um, not any platitudes of inspiration or motivation, just a genuine bit of love. Um, an inclination that you have everything you need within you you have greatness within you Um, listen to your wisdom fucking go for it let's go Duke. yeah thank you